Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at educatinglaura. Hello everyone, thank you for deciding to spend a little bit of time with me today. This episode is coming out on the 9th of May. Yesterday was Mother's Day here in Australia, which was lovely to celebrate with family. I just wanted to give a shout out to those people who perhaps are missing a mum or are on their way to motherhood and aren't quite there yet. So thinking of you, it's not always a perfect day for everybody and so... Yeah, if you are somebody who's feeling a bit of loss on Mother's Day, I'm thinking of you. We are in week three here in Victoria, about to head into Naplan. I had one of those bizarre weeks last week where I thought it was already week three. And then I was speaking to some students who thought it was week one. And we all kind of very disorientated after the holidays. But all of us felt as though the holidays hadn't really been. We were quite exhausted and tired and fatigued. So, you know, you really know that you're back into the term when you have those feelings. I don't know about you guys, but I'm certainly finding within my own classes at least that it's easing a little. I felt as though term one was a really tough term. I was constantly having to reestablish expectations and show students how to behave in class and to let them know what my standard was really. I mean, especially at year seven, I had a number of students having to resubmit tasks because they submitted things that were half done or not done to the standard I expected or wanted. And I think that that's just the remnants of COVID. And a few of my year 12s actually said to me that a number of times they just submitted blank documents and kind of hoped for the best. And I thought that's like a, a big problem that, you know, they were sneaky about their education rather than trying to go for the best possible outcome. So that's something that, you know, needs a real shift and is shifting, but also with COVID going through Victoria as it is, so many of them have that sort of COVID hangover after getting COVID this year too. So it is a bit of an interesting time, one where you have to measure that tough love with genuine gentleness, I suppose. Anyway, enough from me. This conversation is with Dr. Mary Hemphill, and I have had Mary on before. My very first episode of 2021 was with Mary. It's called Limitless Leadership, and Mary is just such an inspirational human. So you'll hear what her role is as we go through the episode, but originally she was an educator, well, still is an educator, I suppose, but a traditional educator, like teacher in a classroom. And she moved up the ranks and became principal. And she turned this school around in North Carolina. And she's written a book about it called The One Minute Meeting. And ultimately, it's a fantastic book. It's a great read, actually. I'm not really a huge educational literature reader. I find that a little bit dry in general. So if you're with me, this is a good one to read because she has this beautiful narrative behind it. It feels like you're walking alongside her in this journey. Plus she then has some really great pragmatic ways of employing some of the things that she actually achieves at this school. And the book is called One Minute Meeting. And ultimately what it's about is getting people to the table. So having conversations with every single student at the school, having conversations with 
the teachers and not just vague statements like, how are you? How are you going? But really pointed questions that encourage genuine introspection and responses that can be actioned. And as she says in this episode, COVID has created more voice than ever. We are less willing to put up with things than we were pre-COVID times. So look, I sound like I'm her publisher or something, but it is a fantastic book. I will link it in the show notes. I will also link that episode in the show notes if you want to know more about her and her background. But this conversation really is about where she's at, how she got here, what her beliefs are about leadership, education, and what the future holds. If you enjoy the episode, please share it on social media. Tag me at Educating Laura and Mary at The Limitless Lady. Go and follow along with her. She is fabulous. If you want to contribute to the podcast, feel free to click the little link down the bottom of the show notes. You can send me a voice note, which is always lovely. I really appreciate hearing them. Please rate five stars if you enjoy it. If you don't like it, you know what? Just don't even bother. It's fine. You don't have to (laughs) give me less than five stars. And send me a great review. I really appreciate all those things. If you just want to listen, do that too, and I'll see you in two weeks. Hello, Mary. It is so lovely to have you here. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Laura. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. So I had you as my very first episode of 2021, I believe season two, and we talked all things one minute meeting and how it was for you as a principal turning that school around in North Carolina. And I'd like to start again by asking you, because I know that roles have shifted, how and what do you teach? All right. So right now I have the honor of being the director of academic standards for the state of North Carolina. So our 60 person team oversees everything from English language arts, math, science, and social studies, as well as all of the physical education, all the counseling, social work, and psychological services, world language, and English as the second language. We also embody all of the computer science and STEM protocols, programs, and initiatives under our science and math team. So how do you go about educating teachers and really bringing those things to life from the position that you're in? Absolutely. So This, when we think about the realities across our state, they're all vastly different. And one of the things I love in this role is that I have the opportunity to serve districts that have over 200,000 students and I have districts that serve a thousand students. And what has been so important and the two ideas that I continue to elevate as we kind of think about how do we approach making sure that every teacher, every school leader, every district leader has what they need is making sure that they have an opportunity to differentiate in the same manner that we ask teachers to differentiate for their students. So we look at their districts and say, who are you serving? Give us the narrative of a a student in your district, whether it be by language, whether it be by culture. And then we also infuse this idea of, we talk about the whole child all the time making sure that their academic and their non-academic needs are met. Well, in this post-pandemic era, we can't do the work we do unless we talk with our district leaders about the whole teacher, the whole mental, the whole mental facilities of a teacher, emotional capacities, professional capacities, what types of things we need to do to differentiate to make sure they have the services they need. Because without whole teachers, we can't create whole children. So really talking with leaders and saying things like, let's stop asking teachers if they're okay. 
The answer is going to be no. Shift that question and ask, how can I support you today? Or what areas do you need more resources? Or where can I stand in a gap for you? That's going to lead to a deeper conversation and you're going to get more real answers than you would versus just saying, are you okay? Because you feel like societally you have to. Mm. What are some of the things that you've noticed post COVID? You know, you, as I said, had the opportunity to run a school and to work with people in a more sort of close knit environment. And you're now working Mm -hmm. such large scale and you are trying to navigate what COVID has created and affected what are yes. some of the big things that you maybe didn't expect to see that COVID has created in society and in education? I will absolutely say voice. Mm. I think that across the board, everyone is finding their voice in a way that helps them advocate for themselves in a way that we did not see in the beginning of 2020 or even 2019. What I mean by that is When COVID came, it's shown a spotlight on education. We've kind of been asking for it. We wanted people to understand the realities of what we do. We wanted people to really dig in and support schools and school systems. But now that parents understand what it's like to teach a child to read, what it's like to go through AP calculus with their child. And they're not just like, hey, Tommy, how was your day? What'd you learn today? But like, They've seen the lessons, they talk to the teachers, they've seen the materials. Now teachers, now parents, now students are speaking up for themselves in a way that advocates and says, I don't understand this. This resource is not helping me. Is there something else out there? And it's pivoted a lot from parents and community members who come at educators to saying, okay, let me pull up a chair with you because I get it now. Just a little bit, I get how much efficacy and perseverance and grit it requires you to do this on a regular day. And now at the backdrop of the pandemic and the evolution of education, I truly understand. And I've seen more grace than ever before. Community members asking, what is it that I can do? Can we start an intern program? Do you need guest speakers? I've seen parents that have said, okay, now that I know what's happening in your classroom, can I mentor or be a mom or a dad to a child who may not have one? Or can I donate some funds for hot meals? And I've seen students. We just had the amazing opportunity to host our first face-to-face, completely student-led computer science conference. Not only were students on the planning committee, but students were keynote speakers, the breakout facilitators, the moderators, all of it. And students were saying to me, this is the first opportunity we've had to lead without feeling like there was a cap or a box that we had to operate inside of, but it's because you trusted us. So everyone I feel is finding their voice and that looks different at different levels, but people are starting to say, I cannot stand over here and suffer in silence anymore. I cannot stay in silos that don't make social impact. And I can't stay in spaces where I'm not mentally safe. I just can't do it anymore. Mm. I found special, as, and I think we've been in lockdown probably more than many other places, you know, being in mm. Melbourne, the biggest issue mm. that we've had is students coming back and feeling so disconnected and mm. not really knowing where to funnel you know, that those feelings of frustration and those feelings of, you know, not belonging, I suppose. And hearing that sounds really wonderful that you're getting these kind of 
empowered voices and parents wanting to come to the table. But I've, from our, our experience, we're kind of on the other end figuring out well, how do we create those spaces? Mm-hmm. How do we allow students to feel more connected? Because really we've only had one full term this year, which we haven't had for nearly two years, a full term at school without any disruptions for two years. So I'd love to hear what kinds of things do you think we could be doing at a school level that can Mm. create that voice and that investment from community, from educators and from students who have felt as though there's not much community. Absolutely. So I feel as if, you know, one of the biggest ways is to start to integrate in a very intentional way. Students are looking for spaces where they can show up in a very real, authentic sort of work, whether it's workforce, whether it's collegiate, whatever it is, whatever their path is. And so when I talk about operating in silos, I mean that leaders have to take a really hard look at how much time teachers are spending when it comes to not only the lessons and the content, but also integrating and saying, hey, Laura, you do this really well. Susan, you do this real. Tom, you do this really well. I know that normally you wouldn't work together because you're this subject, you're this subject, or this subject, but how can we pull these resources and create a more dynamic, maybe it's project-based, maybe it is problem-based, maybe it's an integrated unit where you take a community problem, but you solve it with English, language, arts, science, social studies, math, and you come together innovatively. Because what does that do? It does several things. It opens up an opportunity for Tom to feel as if he does not have to carry every single piece of that school year or that term across the finish line on his own because he knows he can lean in a little bit to Laura, he can lean in a little bit to Susan. But what does this also mean? It also means that if you put a problem-based or a project-based idea into schools, then you say, okay, Who are the local experts? Who is the community member, the business owner, the parent who can add their expertise into this body of knowledge? Because the fact of the matter is our students graduate and they go out to the real world and they look at teams, they look at different stakeholders and entities to be able to do their job. They don't take a standardized test and then their boss says, great job. Now you get a paycheck and a promotion. Yeah. So the sooner we can infuse employable skills into what we're doing, then we're going to start to see schools that mirror the world and we're going to have better global citizens, better computational thinkers, better problem solvers. And then look at the efficacy you'll be building within your teams of teachers to say, I'm going to give you permission to innovate. Yes, I know you have to get to this end of your course or exam. I get it. I get all of that. But if we can figure out a new pathway to do it, maybe infuse instead of a report, why can't they do a pitch competition? Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, okay, here's a, a formal written assessment. Why can't they have an oral exam where they create a narrative or they do some type of presentation that could be completely digital? But you would be surprised what happens when you allow your students that type of access. So that requires superintendents and teacher leaders and district leaders to take the cap off what we thought it had to look like and say, but what do the students need? Mm -hmm. And then incubating that project and incubating that idea and then saying, guess what? The teacher's not the only one who owns this knowledge. There's like this business owner down the street. You know, we always go there after school, invite him in or do a reverse field trip. 
Skype him in, Teams him in, Google Meet him in, and let him talk to the students. And don't curate the questions. Let the students come up with the questions they want to um, use to interview this young man or this young woman. When we stop saying, oh my gosh, I have to own it all, and actually really say shared leadership and shared decision-making is going to be the best route forward, that's where we're going to start to see an evolution of schooling and teaching across the globe. What do you say when people say, but what about getting into university? What about Mm. that piece? Because that's what Mm -hmm. I keep hearing. You know, there's lots of things you can do at junior levels when the curriculum is a little bit more fluid and it's kind of like some more vague skills rather than Mm -hmm. a definitive dot point you have to tick off. What do you say about people that come back and say, but how to get into university? How do you get the qualification to tick that box, to go down that avenue? What have you thought on that? So a couple of things. Well, first of all, we are starting to see more colleges and universities now more than ever allow students to create their own major. So even university systems are saying, wow, okay, so psychology, social work, healthcare, all those things are fantastic. But there's also things that we, pathways that we may not have created yet that we're going to have a student apply. They're going to have a proclivity for this specific subject area or this specific, you know, content area. Why not let them create their own major? Tell us what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like, and we'll support them to write their own path. So that's the first thing that I say. And a lot of Ivy Leagues are doing that as well. Yeah. The second thing that I'm going to say, I think that this is the big one is that right now, nobody on the planet can Google, how do I make it through this pandemic successfully? And something's going to pop up Mm -hmm. because nobody has ever been in this specific situation. Because in 1918, with the last pandemic, the realities have changed. Totally, yeah. You see what I'm saying? So So with that being said, thinking about university systems and thinking about what is needed to be a competent, contributing global citizen, those characteristics and skills have changed. 10 years ago, what we needed was leadership, negotiation. We needed perseverance, grit, eye contact, like all those things that we wanted our students to walk across the stage with and be able to do to go into university for a specific skill set. And that worked. Mm. Now what we need The top 10 skills, according to some of the LinkedIn polls and Gallup polls, say that graduating seniors, the skill set needed in 10 years, in 2032, is enterprise, strategic planning. They're saying now that grit is definitely needed, but in a very different way, because you need to be able to have digital citizenry and understand what online community building looks like, social influence, social impact. Because why? Because people aren't going into jobs to say, this is what I'm going to do for the next 30 years. They're saying, I'm going to dabble in this. I'm going to get a degree in this, but I'm going to create a business that does this, but I'm going to work this nine to five to fund this so that I can get over here and hop over here and create this impact. That requires a myriad of different skills and a myriad of different opportunities to show up differently pigeonholing is not the future. In fact, I saw a quote the other day and it's really been resonating with me. It says the CEO of the future is a team. Mm. So Mm. when people understand that our students have got to be able to ebb and flow with others and bring out their talents while bringing their own, 
the university route is just one facet of what their futures are going to look like. And I mean, especially here, that is not facilitated at all because the whole Victorian, I can speak to at least, the mark is a rank. So what it does, whatever, whatever mark you get shows you where you rank within the state. So it's very competitive. It's, it's not mm-hmm. encouraging of people to work together to create teams, right. to build each other up, because the more you do that, the more it may affect your rank. So it just mm-hmm. it logically makes so much sense to what you're saying, but how do we get them to catch up? Or, or is that something that society is just going to do on their own? What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think society is going to do it on its own. I think we've already started doing it. I think we're living right now in the great resignation. Yeah. Like over 4 million people were like, no, <laughs> I'm not compromising my mental health anymore. I'm not going to subscribe to this anymore. So again, emulation is the highest form of flattery. If we have adults who are now deciding after COVID that there is a better way to do life, And they're creating these new social structures for students and their children and their godchildren, right? And their nieces and nephews. It's going to, it's going to have a trickle down effect. I didn't say it was going to be expedited. It may take some time, but in the next 10 years, the future of work, the future of learning and the way that people are going to show up as healthier, happier, whole human beings who are like the nine to five is cool. And I get it. But I want to decide what that looks like. Like I need to be in partnership with my with my supervisor. Even school, the the students, the parents. The I need to be in partnership with my teachers and school leaders to see what that looks like. It's going to take some time. But the the one thing that drives innovation, to your point, is disruption. And I can't think of any greater disruption than what COVID has done. No, oh, yeah. Now if, you see what I'm saying. So if we go back, that's our fault. But I know for a fact, people like you at this podcast, people and thought leaders on Twitter and Instagram, all these wonderful, amazing people that I wouldn't be normally connected with, but I'm connected globally. Y'all are leading the way because you're having conversations like this. And so that's the type of impact. People weren't talking like this two and a half years ago, asking ourselves what we can do to go back. So tangibly, it's going to take time. They have to have models of what it looks like, even though those are few and far between, those voices are loud because everybody's searching for what this is going to look like. And then realistically, you have to have leaders who are going to give people permission to change and permission to fail and to be able to do it so that we can get forward to new solutions without being penalized for thinking differently or having a different opinion. And it's going to be slow, but it's going to be sure. What I'd love to know is how do you synthesize information? So how have you come to these beliefs and values? Like, you know, it's obviously not purely from a textbook or it's not, obviously there's so many different ways in which this is where you've come to. This is what you believe in. How do you get to this place? Like, where do you get the information from? Where do you get your inspiration from? As I said, I think that we look at education, especially back in the day, as you know, it's a textbook or it's something that has been tried and tested. But clearly mm-hmm. you've come from both experience and education and all of that. So I'd love to know where it all comes from that you're now sitting at this place feeling this way about education. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I do and I, I try to remember is that over the history of time, the greatest thinkers think about their thinking. And 
one of the things we don't do in education is take time to think. So because (laughs) of the schedules Mm, and the demands and the duties. So one of the things that I always try to do is make sure I look at my calendar and I say, did I schedule my thinking time? That can look like a sabbatical, a staycation, maybe one or two protected hours. When I say protected hours, that means the team doesn't get it. My hair appointment doesn't get it. Church, I hate to say this, church doesn't get it. That's my time to pour into me. And what I do during that time is if I do go away, I take the materials I need to do my best thinking. That's my journal. That is making sure I have a device with Wi-Fi access so that I can say, okay, here are the thought leaders. I want to take some time to listen to these podcasts, specifically these podcasts. I want to take some time to read these articles. I want to take some time to read these two books. What we don't understand is that the game changers and the innovators are innovating because they are creating time to put new information inside them because light creates like. If I keep digesting old information, all I can talk about on this podcast is the old way of thinking. So that means I have to diversify what I'm listening to, what I'm reading, and what I'm saying. So that means when I say diversify, I need to listen to thought leaders who I don't agree with. And that's the other piece. This thinking time, this sabbatical time means I have to get really uncomfortable because I'd rather be uncomfortable in private while I'm listening to somebody who has very differing views than me so I can help make sense of them. That way, when I'm in public with you and I'm talking with you, I'm talking with other people, I've already gone through the the uncomfortableness and the way it sits on my chest because emotionally, I wanna be able to impart information. I don't wanna be able to further polarize people. I also take all my writing materials. And when I hear something that I like in a book or I see, or or maybe it's an audio book or I read something, I'll write it down. I keep a running list every quarter of new thoughts and new ideas that I either wanna go back to or that I wanna infuse in a keynote or that I wanna share with other people. And I do that once a quarter whether it's two or three hours in my office floor, surrounded by books with my earphones on, digging in, or whether I go away for two days and I just say, this is my thinking time. But the other thing is, is I tell every leader, if you look at your calendar, you'll see what you value. Mm. And if you value the curation of new thoughts and the new ideas, have you scheduled yourself so that you can do that? And you'd be surprised if you take 30 minutes, start with 30 minutes and just sit down and say, there's this TED talk that just came out, this new person. I don't know much about it, but this is a buzz. Sit down and listen and don't just listen to say, oh, I listened. And you can like, you know, take a picture of it, put it on social media, do it as a researcher, go in. How did he get those ideas? Vet the statistics, understand where he's coming from and what you just did is everybody you're connected to just got better because you added that information to you. When we shift our perspective on how we synthesize information and realize that everybody in our sphere of influence improves when we take time to get better and to think and to research and read, that's when it's a game changer. And that's how I approach synthesizing all this new stuff that's coming out. Do you know what I love about that so much too is because you know wherever you land is going to be truthful 
and it's going to be mm. impactful. And there feels like this really innate trust that you just know the right thing for you. And I see so much with students, and obviously I work with teens, that mm-hmm. lack of trust with their own mm. thoughts, that lack of belief in what they mm. know. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you go back to yourself as a student at school, what's yes. something you wish you understood earlier or what's something you wish you had maybe been fed or given at school that would have made the journey perhaps a little bit quicker to get mm. to this place? <laughs> Absolutely, positively. And it's like, it makes me tear up because I know there's so many students that think this way. Yeah. And I wish that I'd been told that the fact that I'm different is exactly what the world needs Mm. and exactly where I would find my tribe, my purpose, and the way that I show up to make the biggest impact. Because differences are not always celebrated. And that's Especially at every time of your life, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. And I and I'll say this too, you know, I started limitless because I had been limited in so many different ways. I can't tell you how many schools I was had the privilege of leading. And once I was named principal, we'd have that open, we prepare, we get ready for the school year, we'd have that open house, and a parent would come in and say, Are you even old enough to be the principal? or conferences that I went to and workshops that I worked alongside and just educators. And they would say, um, who, how long have you been a principal? Like who, what are you, who, what can you possibly teach us? Right. And so when I think about coaching and when I think about just being in the spaces that I'm in, I will never forget. I had a client who in the height of 2020, we had started Limitless in 2019 and we were just trying to help this organization with their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And it was a major, one of the fifth largest production companies in the, in the country. And she comes to me and she says, we chose you because you are exactly who and what our organization needs to see. She said, you are a woman of color who is very young. However, you have all these certifications She said, you rock your natural hair. She said, you have a Southern twang. She says, but you're bilingual. She said, you're an expert in education. She said, and all of those things make you this beautiful cornucopia of skills and skill sets that really shatter the status quo just by looking at you. She says, and that's what our organization needs to see. It was one of the first times where all these differences and things that I was like, you know, I don't want to, I'm in the space, but I don't know if where it was like, that's what we were looking for. And if I hadn't shown up as myself, Mm. that conversation, that opportunity to impact that organization never would have happened. So I wish that my teachers were, were say, Mary, I love that you are you and that you have this voracious appetite for, for, for reading and learning. I love that you're the only freshman in the Spanish classes with those senior boys who don't know why you're here. You're the only one here. I absolutely love that you, when we ask you to do a book report, you get your parents to do a VHS film and do like a whole rendition of the book. And like, I love that, but I didn't hear that. Mm. I heard you were really doing too much. Why are you working so hard? Are you sure you're up for this class? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, in the States, there is this 
stereotype that to speak well, to articulate and enunciate and to have clarity of meaning is an attribute that's only for Caucasian people. So a lot of my, a lot of my associates and peers would say, Mary, why do you talk like that? Like you talk like a white girl. I didn't understand what that meant. Mm. And then my colleagues, my, my black friends and my African-American friends, and they would say, but you're just not quite like black enough. Like you're not black, black. Oh, okay. And so i grew up in this place where it was like not accepted or embraced fully by any group. But knowing that it was the right, like my parents, I knew my parents would never lead me astray. My parents said, listen, all we ask is that you do your best. And if your best is that you love to speak and write and do these things, you keep doing it and we fully support you. But I didn't realize that the exact space where I didn't feel comfortable would later, 20 years later, be the exact space that I would innovate and, and eventually dominate when it comes to clarity of ideas and helping people become better versions of themselves. I'd love to know in what space or what situation you feel the most empowered. Oh, that's a good question. I love this question because I'm constantly asking myself, like, where do I feel the most present? Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely positively in situations just like this one. So it doesn't matter if it's a podcast, if it is a virtual Zoom session, or if I'm on the stage when I am imparting information and sharing narratives that are going to shift how leaders show up, little leaders and big leaders, I am absolutely in my zone. Absolutely in my zone. Because for me, it is a way that I can still teach. I'm an educator in my, at my core. So educators give people tools to be able to show up in life and be global citizens who contribute their gifts and their passions. And so when I'm able to engage with you here on this amazing podcast, or whether I'm working with a group of school leaders, talking about the one minute meeting, whatever it is, I feel like I'm imparting and showing up and doing my due diligence to educate them, not necessarily in a formal way, but in a way that's gonna help them think differently. And that means that schools and classrooms and spaces and communities are going to be changed. I love that. The last question I want to ask you is what is something that has either come into your life or something that was created, you know, since being born that you think, where has this been? I've needed this. And it could be an idea. It could be a thing. It could be tech. It could be anything. Mm. Something that's come into your life later and you're like, oh, this is what I've needed. I'm absolutely going to say, and this is really, it's really funny that you asked that question. Because this past Christmas, I had the opportunity to find these old VHS and there were the little VHS that you put inside the the big VHS in order to make it a home video. And there were memories that my mom had forgotten, my dad had forgotten, but they were all of me capturing life as I knew it. Mm. And I would even do the announcing thing. Like you could hear me in the background saying, and now we're coming live for Orlando, Florida on the Hemp Hill family vacation. And it was like 1998, right? So I will absolutely say that the evolution of the way that we capture life, whether it is on your smartphone, a DTLR, whatever it is, however we capture life and share it with other people has changed the way 
I feel people can share their narratives and their stories. And I, I read a quote a couple of weeks ago, and it said, you have to help people understand and figure out how they should be envisioning you. Because everybody has their own narrative, their own experience, their own perspective when it comes to how they connect with you. So you can help them with that story by creating visuals, powerful visuals that are attached to your brand, that are attached to your story, that are attached to what it is that you want to do when it comes to making social impact in this world and in this country. And I'll say that having my smartphone or having my video camera and being able to share it on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, to help people imagine a limitless life, to help them imagine what happens with the power of words, to help them get outside the box when it comes to inviting students to the table has changed my life forever because most of the people I meet with, most of the people who ask me to speak, most of the people that I connect with are like, your story stuck with me. Mm -hmm. or that that experience, that video you posted on Instagram stuck with me, or I watched something that you said on LinkedIn, that has been a game changer. Because going back to what I said earlier, when different hasn't been celebrated for so long in your life, and then different becomes the actual thing that's helping you connect with other people and get and live out your purpose, you start to be really grateful for the evolution of technology and the evolution of mindsets. And so without a shadow of a doubt, it's the way and the tools and the resources, digital or otherwise, that people can now say, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is the flair that I want to put on it so that you can experience me in the most authentic way possible. Thank you so much, Mary. I just, I love being in your presence. You know, this. every time I get an opportunity to chat to you and to connect with you, it's just always incredible and it makes me feel so inspired so thank you again for your time and if anybody wants to find you where can they find you (laughs) you can definitely find me on instagram at the limitless lady on twitter at limitless underscore underscore lady or you can go to www.beelimitlessleader.com or send us the email at mary at the limitless lady.com thank you so much i hope you have a wonderful day and as i said it's always wonderful to see you Thank you. Likewise, Laura. Thank you.